Our teaching for today is based on uh, this lesson from John chapter 3, John chapter 3. If you have been following along, you've noticed we've, we've done John chapter 1, John chapter 2, and Jesus clearing the courts last. This week we hear from Jesus in John chapter 3. And as I was thinking about these words and praying about them, I had this realization. I hope you know that I think that most people are what we would generally call okay or good. And by that I mean, I came to this realization that perhaps from you know, the, the sermons and the stories in the sermons, from the stories of people confessing their sins, from the struggles that people go through in life, uh, from the mishaps and the failures and the mistakes they made, you know, I, I think we should be honest about reality the way it is. It's easy to deceive ourselves and to think that life is all chocolates and flowers and roses. Uh, and yet, I don't want to also give you the impression that I think that everything is, that people especially, are all evil, awful people. I think that people as a whole, based on you know, the way we would culturally assess them, are, are, are decent, are good, are okay. That's not the end of the story, but I think they're good. Now, let's talk about what does that mean? What does that look like a little bit to say that people are generally good? There was a man named Greg Epstein uh, a few years ago who wrote a book called Good Without God, and in it he did a, a bunch of research on what people consider generally good. So this is probably one of the best current cultural summaries of what it means to be a good person. And he said, a good person has self-awareness. You take responsibility for your own life. You refuse to find your identity in material possessions. You believe your, wor- your behavior is worthy of imitation by others. You also strive for mastery and control over your own life. You're reliable, trustworthy, and you are generous. Those seven things. He did a fair bit of research, and he said, these are the beliefs and the behaviors we have that mean a person is generally good. And I think that we in West Michigan, not just we here at Peace, but, you know, all of us who live in this West Michigan-y kind of area, you know, Holland, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, make a little box here, right? We, We would more or less agree with this, although we would probably add a few tweaks For example, I think almost all of us would say, you know, you can't be a good person unless you take care of your family. So where it says you take responsibility for your own life, I think we'd also say you you take responsibility for your family. If you don't have that belief, we we would not probably consider you to be a a good person. Um, The other thing that we would probably tweak about this is that we certainly believe that that you should take responsibility for your own life. But I I hear from most people that we should also be willing to help other people with their life. So there are parts and places of this country that say, I'll do me and I'll take care of myself, but good luck for you. I'm not going to, I don't have to fix you. And I think we are a, a group of people here who like to say, 
I take responsibility for my life, and if you want help and you ask for help, I will give you help, right? I think that is a common belief of what it is to be a good person. Now, that being said, here's, here's what we think a good person is. I realize these are the kind of people that I meet and work with quite regularly. I, I think that you are these kind of good people. In many ways, you're better, but you're good like this. And you can see what Epstein is kind of arguing and hinting at. As you look at the title of his book, he says, Good Without God. He's saying, we can be good people without God. I meet quite a few people who fit into that category. I think most of us know people who would say, we are good people and we don't need God. You know, I, I swim with quite a few gentlemen. These are, are people who grew up in the church and now they haven't been to church in 30 or 40 years. And they say things like, you know, I worked for 30, 40 years. I put in my time. I did my, my good work. And now my, that I'm retired, my boss keeps calling me and they want me to come back to work. And I say, no. I think that's fine. They're still good people. They take responsibility for their own life. They say, I've got my things I'm going to do now. I need to take care of my obligations. And I'm not going to take responsibility for my boss's problems. He's got to fix his own problems. See what I mean? These are people who they are good by our standards, and yet they would all say, I don't need God to be good. I haven't been to church in 40 years. Or, or I, I meet with people, men who have lost their jobs. We talk about why they lost their jobs. And they tell me, you know, I, I spent more time with my family than I did golfing with the guys and drinking beer. They realize that's part of the reason why they lost their jobs. Not because they did something wrong, but the bosses never like it when you prioritize something over work. They lost their jobs. I think that's good, though. They've taken responsibility for their own lives. These are people who are good without God, and it begs them the question, what do we need God for? If you can do all of that, and you don't need God... What do we need God for? That's what all of these people that I meet on a regular basis, they ask the exact same question. We're not the first people to ask that question. If you look at today's lesson, this man named Nicodemus came to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And he says, we know you're from God, but we've kind of got it figured out, right? We are good people. We are religious people. What do we need you for? You can feel that in his question. And so today we want to answer that question with what Jesus says. What do we need God for if we're good? 
right? There's plenty of places in our lives where we need God because we're sinners. But what do we need God for if we're, if we're good already? What if, what if we don't have problems to fix in our lives? What if we're not falling apart? What if we're not huge sinners? Then what do we need God for? That's what Jesus wants to tell us today in John chapter 3. So you take a look at John chapter 3, and this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He tells Jesus, hey, we know you are a man from God. Now, Nicodemus is about as good as they can get. Nicodemus was an older gentleman, at least that's what we think. We think that because you could not be part of the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, unless you had some years behind you. Nicodemus was also a pretty rich guy, or pretty well off, okay? Why do we think that? Well, you can't tell it in the story, but this same Nicodemus is the guy who brought spices to anoint Jesus when he died. He brought 30 pounds of spices. And I, I did a little bit of quick, or I'm sorry, 75 pounds of spices. Myrrh right now costs $30 a pound. Can you imagine buying a pound of spice? You know, we use the little jar, right? Like, that's all I use for spice at home. It takes me a couple of years to use the, the little jar of cumin or something like that. $30 a pound for myrrh. He bought 75 pounds. So he bought $2,500 of spices to put on Jesus' body when he died. And he wasn't related to the guy. They weren't besties. He spent $2,500 on somebody when he died, and they weren't relatives. When was the last time you spent $2,500 on a person who has passed away? Just don't do it, right? He's got a lot of money to blow. He is pretty well educated. Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. That's a term of respect. Jesus wouldn't say that if, if he didn't have some education. I think you, if you look at him too, you can tell that Nicodemus, if you're looking through this lesson, is not a disrespectful or a discourteous man. He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi. He uses a very polite and proper term, Rabbi. We don't have a lot of evidence that Jesus received a formal education and was called a rabbi, but people called him a rabbi nevertheless. So we think Nicodemus was pretty respectful. It also tells us later on that he says, you know, we know you're a teacher from God. He's thought about this a lot. How else would he know this? And lastly, when Jesus tells him, you must be born again, he says back to him, well, how can that be? Now, that sounds pretty skeptical, but you notice he didn't say, no way, man, that can't happen. Now, this is the Bible, I understand, right? So they're not going to be put in slang here, but he could have said, a zillion things, and there are other places in the Bible where we find curses and vulgarity. Nicodemus was not a vulgar guy. He was curious. He was thoughtful. He was respectful. This is a guy that is about as good as you can get in, in life. He's, you can't hardly get any better from than this guy. 
And it is this guy then who says to Jesus, we know you're from God. Now, we never get to find out what Nicodemus wants. Do you notice that? You read the story. What does Nicodemus want from Jesus? We don't know if if Nicodemus wants Jesus to teach his grandson the catechism. (laughs) Maybe he does, right? We don't know if Nicodemus is worried that Jesus is going to start a rebellion. We don't know if he wants to debate Jesus. We don't know if he wants to get Jesus to be a teacher for the Pharisees. We don't know any of those things. All we know is that Jesus did not want to play his game. You hear that? Nicodemus said something good about Jesus. Oh, you must be from God. God God is plainly with you. And Jesus wants nothing to do with it. Now, if if I come to you and say, you're such a pious, you're such a godly person, you're a good person, what are you going to say back? Thank you. I can tell that you're a good believer. Thank you, pastor. That's a very nice thing for you to say. Oh, I can see your faith. Really, pastor? How do you see that? Oh, I'm so impressed by your love for God. You know, pastor, it's been hard. I've worked through a lot of things in life. Are you going to come back to me and say, well, you need to be born again? Come on, guys. No, you're not going to do that, are you? Isn't this a crazy interaction? Jesus looks at this guy who is or as more godly than any of us. He has achieved more in life than us. He is more successful in us. And he doesn't say anything polite or kind or encouraging back to him. He says, wake up! You must be born again. You cannot tell where God is at work unless you have been born again. You cannot see where God is at work unless you've been born again. There's plainly a demand here, but realize what what Jesus is saying to him. Think about being born, right? We've all been born. What happens when you're born? You come kicking and screaming into the world. You say, it's cold here. It's bright here. And everybody is mean to me. They keep poking me. No, I'm just kidding. But that is kind of how you feel probably. You, you get a family Right? You get a family the minute you're born. You, you get an inheritance. You, you belong to a legacy, a place in life. You get some responsibility. Right? You're, you're, a, a, you're a self-regulating, a self-controlled person. You are responsible for your life. We could go on and on about all the things that you get in life. But look what Jesus says to this guy. He says, you have to go through that again. Now, there's a whole lot packed into this. Jesus is in the middle of a debate, right? He's hitting on a debate that the ancient people had about the restarting of Earth's history cycles and where you could get into that. There's debate here about how to get this new birth, baptism and the Spirit, all of that. But I don't want us to miss just the bigger thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus wants you and I to get born again. He wants us to have a new family. He wants us to be a new person. He wants us to have a new responsibility, a new start. He wants us to be born again. He is literally saying you should be somebody else than who you are. Do you get this? A lot of people think that religion 
is kind of like self-help. It's about becoming a better person. Right? You go and you read a book like Atomic Habits, and you learn how to stack your habits in life so you can change your life and be a better person. And you think, the Bible's kind of like that. Golden rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Jesus doesn't really care if you're a better person. That's not what he's about. He's got the best person in life in front of him, and he's not saying to him, here's how you can fix your life. He says to him, here's how you can become a whole new person. Right? So Jesus, I'd like to say it this way, Jesus does not just want you to be a better person. He wants you to be a different person. He wants you and I to be not just better, but different. Here's a, here's a little analogy. Here's a little illustration for us here. I got, a, I got a couple of apples here. And imagine that you are an apple. And I've got this yellowish with a little bit of red apple here. And this looks like a nice apple. It's a pretty good apple. It's a kind of apple that I like. I don't like gala apples. They're too squishy and mushy. Uh, and what other kind of apples don't I like? I used to really like the green, uh, the tangy ones. What are the green apples called? Huh? Like Granny Smiths, yeah. But I'm not, not so big of a fan of them. I'm not a big fan of like the Macintoshes and the, the big red ones that are all smushy. No, they're no good. So if you're one of those apples, I'm sorry for you. I don't really think you're a good apple. No, I'm just kidding. It's a pretty good apple. It's a good apple. And it, and it would be one thing for you to come to church, it would come to God and say, you know, I'd like to be a better apple. God, can you make me into a better apple? And so I pull out this even better sweet tango, huh? Yeah, and now you're a better apple. You've moved up. You're not just a little yellow with, mostly yellow with a little red. Now you're all red. You're sweeter, you're tarter, you're crispier. You know, and it's, it's easy to think too that even religion is, is like, well, I need forgiveness. I need to get my, my something evil cut out of my life. And so there's this bad spot in this, this apple, right? And I ask God to forgive me. And I'm going to cut out the bad spot in the apple. Right? Okay, here we go. Cut out the bad spot in my apple. Good. Now I've cut the sin out of my life. Right? I've been forgiven for the evil and the wrongdoing I've done. And, and the gospel even says, yeah, you are forgiven. We cut out the sin out of your life. But the gospel even goes beyond that. The gospel goes beyond that, right? And says, let me give you Christ's righteousness. Let me give you Christ's goodness. So I'm going to cut out a little piece of, of Christ's goodness and his righteousness, and I can fill in, right? I fill in the bad spot in your apple, and now, oh, you're a better apple. You've improved. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've had Christ's goodness and his righteousness gifted to you. You're a better apple. And, and is that what religion is all about? Jesus says you must be born again. You need to become an orange. You laugh. But isn't that the point? God doesn't want you to be a better apple. He wants you to be something whole different. And you say, I can't become an orange. But that's the point. You can't become an orange. You can't fix yourself. You can't better yourself into God's world. You can't 
work harder, even these religious practices. You can't find forgiveness often enough. You can't ask for God's gifts of righteousness and goodness often enough. You become something different. That's the gospel, friends. Yes, the gospel is your sins are forgiven. Yes, the gospel is your forgiveness or Christ's work is given to you. But the gospel is also in Christ. You are a new person. You are a different person. And you might not see it today. You might not feel it today. You are born again of water and the word. You are born again of water and the spirit. You are a whole new person. You know how we know that this is actually the, the way it goes, right? This is actually what happens. Did you see the, the picture in this lesson? Jesus at this lesson, as it closes, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life in him. Do you know that story? There's this old, this old story that happened to the Israelites. They were wandering through the wilderness They were complaining to God about the lack of good food and the lack of water as they they went on their journey to the promised land. God allowed all of these venomous snakes to come among them, and the snakes started biting the people. People started dying. God provided the oddest and the strangest remedy. He told Moses to put a snake on a pole and to put the pole where everybody could see it. And all they did was look at the pole. Now, if a venomous snake bites you, are you going to die? Yes. If a venomous snake bites you, are you as good as dead? Yes, absolutely. So what happened that they could look at a snake on a pole and start over? They got a new life. And it wasn't by doing something. They didn't work harder in life. They saw Jesus, and he gave them a new life. In a moment, without doing a thing, without trying anything, without practicing anything different in their life, they became an orange. Friends, I want all of you to have God's best gifts in your life. I want you to have the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to have God's approval every day right in front of you. I also want you to be a new person. I want you to enjoy the new and the different life that God wants to give you. I want you to leave behind all of the things of your past, and I want you to be totally new in Christ. That is the beautiful promise of this gospel. You must be born again. Even as a good person, you get a new life and a new start. And let's pray for that. No matter how good we think we already are, Maybe we were pretty good. We got life already figured out. Let's pray that God would make us different people, new people. Can we pray for that together? Lord Jesus, it's true that a lot of us are very good. We have worked uh, on the ways our culture or even our churches tell us to be good people. And we're improving. And we thank you for some of the progress that we have made in our lives to be those good people. That's your gracious work in our lives. 
But more important than that, we would hear these words that you spoke to Nicodemus to be born again, to have a new birth so that we can see your work among us. Make us new people, not just better people, but different people because of your grace. That is what your ancient people got as they looked at your cross. That is what we get as we look at Jesus. We are born again of water and the Spirit to be new people. We pray for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.